Happy National Oceans Month, everyone. Seems convenient that that happens in June. Interesting. This is Betsy, and here's what's in the vast expanse of the Popping Collars feed in the month of June 2022. Life's a Beach on this month's Popping Collars. We're once again picking songs for our annual Pop and Playlist. It's the only summer mixtape you'll need while lounging by the water. We'll also be deep diving on the canon when our all-star panel draft their favorite documentary movies. Greg and I are fishing for the best movies from 30 years ago on Going on 30. This month, we're looking back at my own private Idaho. Finally, The Sacred Six sails into port as Dan, Jocelyn, Simitowski, and Greg wrap up their conversation about baseball and sacraments with a poignant story of D. Gordon's home run in remembrance of his friend, Jose Fernandez. Thanks for surfing the internet waves with our Deep Blue podcast. And remember to keep those life vests on and keep those collars popped. The internationally known, the dynamic, Sly, and the Fabulous Stone. Welcome to The Canon, a part conversation, part competition show, where each of us attempt to assemble the most entertaining group of films using the works of an actor, creator, genre, or theme. I'm here. Hello. My name is Greg Knight. Over there is Eric Matoye. Hello, Eric. Sending you greetings from the sun-drenched palm trees and beaches of the West Coast. Down there on my screen is Liz Easton. Hello, Liz. Hey, Greg. How are you? Greetings from Omaha, Nebraska. Up there on my screen is Emily Carmody. Hello, Emily. Hey, uh, greetings from Durham, North Carolina. And somewhere out there is Betsy Carmody. Hey, Betsy. Am I like the movie Fievel? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is Betsy. I'm in beautiful Alexandria, Virginia. Let's get this thing started this month. We're drafting documentaries. Before we get started, Liz, what makes a good documentary? Gosh, I love documentaries. So for me, what makes a good documentary is you learn something. Mm. Not just about the thing that you're exploring in the documentary, but perhaps something about yourself. I like a deep dive into a topic. And I like stories that are not always told. I also like Uh, maybe having to have Wikipedia. Or a Google image search open. It just like it continues the deep dive. Like I want more. Uh, okay. So here are the rules for the canon as we pick our favorite documentaries. The goal of the game is to create the most entertaining group of four movies. Uh, once a film has been selected, it's off the board. No one else can choose it. Draft order will be randomly selected and picks will be made in snake order, meaning the person who picks last in the first round will get to pick first in the second round. And at the end of the draft, each person will get one minute to defend his or her canon. Uh, Listeners to the show will be able to vote for their favorite canon on our website at poppingcollarspodcast.com. Sound good? Do it. Uh, We have spun the wheel. Eric, you get to pick first in the documentary. Oh, no. 
I get to kick off. Oh, I don't even know what to say because I was thinking Romy and uh, Michelle's great high school reunion. Oh, wait, documentaries. Sorry, I'm blaming Michelle. <laughs> so on that theme, Great Gardens, story of, of Big Edie and Little Edie and the thousand of cats that were living in their house. <laughs> A great story, how to live into someone else's life and Little Eve, Edie, hey, she can wrap a turban. And that I'll also say amazing. that documentary was assigned in a couple of different classes in social work school as a clinical social worker trying to diagnose people from movies, like using that as practice. It is a fascinating movie to watch. Okay, Emily, you are up next. What would you like to pick for your first documentary? I'm going to go with 13th. Just such a powerful documentary that I think very successfully makes the length but link between uh, the end of slavery and the beginning of mass incarceration. And I just, I watched this on a plane actually, and just remember finishing it in the Charlotte airport and crying at the food court, watching this movie and just realizing how much of that history was in my lifetime and um, still going on now. And it, it just completely changed how I view the court system and, and the prison system and, and saw the greater connection. It wasn't just, this is an issue and racism is an issue. It's that it's all here together and, and just very well laid out. Okay. Betsy, you are third. All right. I'm going with the fog of war, having a parent who served in Vietnam and having that as kind of a a, a mist that's kind of around it's in stories it's in him but you don't really talk about it a lot to have just the starkness of this just that interview with bob mcnamara the the errol morris treatment the philip glass score i mean that score still haunts me it just takes me right back to watching that movie and to kind of examine your to examine the things that you think you're doing with the best of intentions but when you believe a philosophy that's just going to lead you into more and more conflict. It's well done. Really powerful. Okay. Liz, you are up next. What is your Okay. Pick? Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to pick the classic film Paris is burning. <laughs> a house, a house. Let's see. Let's see. We can put it down sharply. They're families. You can say that they're families. For a lot of children who don't have families. But this is the new meaning of family. The hippies had families. And no one thought nothing about it. It wasn't a question of a man and a woman and children, which we grew up knowing as a family. It's a question of a group of human beings in a mutual bond. Love it. Filmed in the 80s, released in 1990, about the houses in new york where um gay kids trans kids multi-generational people would um i'm forgetting all of the words ballroom yes yes yeah, ball culture right. that's right it was ball it was ball culture and um excellent uh everything that madonna appropriated for the vogue video you see on full display in these groups of uh, marginalized people keeping each other safe and creating joy, especially uh, people of color. 
And it's a wonderful movie. I've seen it many times. If you are interested in that, I also recommend the television show Pose, which Mm -hmm. I think was just one of the best shows I've watched in the last few years. Very cool. I've never seen Harris's Burning. Oh, I didn't a, even oh, know that so was that's what it was about. <laughs> oh, yes. it's so good. It's black and white. Um, it's just classic. And if you watch it, you'll realize that like a lot of the um, idioms or you know phrases that have become idioms in pop culture that originated from that documentary specifically, and also from that culture. It's um, it's really important, I think, for understanding just pop culture in general. Yes. That's another one I watched on a plane. I'm now realizing I watch a lot of documentaries on planes. There we go. Yeah, because you're like small screen. I, mm-hmm. can, I can make it work. Uh, okay, I am last. So I'm getting two in a row. I'm going off the board for my first one because it's a movie that I saw recently and I'm still stewing over. I don't know if it's a movie. This is where documentaries get a little weird is that sometimes, especially if they're long form, they can feel like TV series sometimes. And this one kind of feels because it's chopped up into six parts. It feels like a TV series, but it's called can't there there are multi-part documentaries on this list. So I think whatever you're about to say, it counts. I'm saying that mainly because I'm going to pick one later. So go ahead. So this movie is called can't get you out of my head. Uh, It was directed by Adam Curtis. And the best that I can kind of say is that, you know how, when you, study American history in school, you usually make it to like World War II before like the end of the school year and you don't really get anything after that. So what this movie does really well is it talks about sort of postmodern history. So it pieces together um, how everything kind of functions in the world, starting with the early 1960s uh, up until today. And how everything's sort of connected, how the legitimate drug trade of the 60s affects the fallout of the cultural revolution from China, affects the fall of communism, affects the rise of Internet culture, affects like all of this stuff kind of gets woven together. By the end of it, you can see how something like the death of Tupac Shakur is tied to uh, his mom's work with the Black Panther Party, which is tied to failed revolutions, either with Tiananmen Square or Occupy or trade unions. Like it's all, all of these things are sort of dominoes that are built on top of each other and they all lead to the world that we have today. And maybe the most Maybe the most chilling part of the documentary is when it talks about sort of the rise of an autocrat kleptocrat in Vladimir Putin. When it says, here comes a man who rises to power, who believes in nothing and how that vision for the world affects American politics and someone who comes into office who believes in nothing uh, is elected to the presidency and stuff. And it's just it's really amazing it's a it's a documentary that's stuck with me for several months now, and I've just kind of keep chewing on it and chewing on it, which I think is the sign of a good documentary. It's called Can't Get You Out of My Head. It's available on YouTube. It was originally on BBC One. You can find it on YouTube in like six part chunks. I would just say it's not the Kylie Minogue video that shows up first. It's probably the the next video that comes after that is the documentary. So. 
and then finally, uh, I'm going to follow Can't Get You Out of My Head Up with a, another long form documentary, uh, OJ Made in America. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Liz. So good. It's so good. <laughs> I haven't oh. seen that one. Oh, oh my gosh. Amazing. Where do Again, I watch that one? Again, oh. OJ Made in America. Is it a TV show? Is it a movie? I don't know. Uh, that's kind of what I like about this form is that, you know, it's it is what it is. Um, it's a it's a deep exploration into a topic. Again, kind of like can't get you out of my head where uh, it seeks to connect strands that you maybe weren't thinking of when you were in the moment and sort of focused on you know, what was right in front of you. It sort of takes this wide view of what is the legacy of OJ's sports career and how does that come into play with the trial, with the murder and then the trial and everything and how it all kind of connects to the complicated story of race in America. And so um, OJ Made in America is great. It's my second pick. And when it first came out, I was like, there's no way I can watch eight more hours of this story. I've heard it all. And no, you haven't. It's yeah, it's great. Especially for me. Like I was a little kid. Well, I was a young person. I think I was in sixth grade. I remember it vividly. I remember the Simpson verdict vividly. I was in middle school, but um, I did not understand, obviously at that age, all of the issues around race in the nineties and particularly in Los Angeles And this show just does a great job of really telling from OJ Simpson's life, like from start to finish, how racism impacted everything about his life and legacy and the crimes he committed and everything. We are back to you, Liz, for your second documentary pick. I have a movie that is not on this list that I'm going to use, but I'm so afraid of you all stealing my excellent um, documentaries that I'm going to not use it yet. So I'm picking 20 feet from stardom, Mm. which is really one of my favorite movies about backup singers. Fun fact about me, like a lot of people have like fantasies, like, you know, before you go to bed and like you're daydreaming or whatever about being a rock star. My dream and my fantasy is to be like a studio musician or a backup singer or, um, you know, the hired gun of like a rock show. Like I, I love those people who are just like workers in rock, like the rock and roll workforce. Uh, Is this why you're canon to the ward? Because that is what this sounds like. Okay. Got it. It's a a birthright gift of mine is I like, (laughs) I like that. I just like that. Um, So this movie is just what for a person like me, who's fascinated by that. It's just uh, a really interesting exploration of backup singers and also tells the a very um damning story of how the music industry especially like in the 60s and 70s used black women to create this sound um that we all are so familiar with while not giving them credit not giving them the financial compensation that they deserved at all and not giving them center stage and my boyfriend bruce springsteen is in it so and my other boyfriend Sting. So, two oh, of my boyfriends. Great. It's a particular sixty-year-old white guy for you. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I like a like a kind of disgustingly lean. That's my type. Disgustingly lean balladeer. Okay, Betsy, we're back to you. Oh, your second yes. documentary. And I don't think it's on here, even though it's an Oscar winner. I don't know. This list list you have is so dense. But it's uh, one day in September. 
morning like any other in Munich. A city where tradition and modernity exist happily side by side. This summer, our beautiful city plays host to the 20th Olympic Games. There, in the center of the future Olympic site, is the Olympic Tower. Next to it, the Olympic Arena. For many visitors, Munich is a kind of German paradise. We're sure that you'll agree. Well, nobody could foresee what later on happened. And it is the, the taking of hostages at the 1972 Munich Olympics, narrated by Michael Douglas. Um, but a group of Palestinian Palestinian group came in and took the Israeli um, members of the Israeli wrestling team hostage, and they were going to transport them out of Germany into another location. And how watching how the media covered this in the moment, how the Olympics handled it in the moment, imagining what would happen if this happened now, like kind of where all the criticism ends up coming down, how it all ends in tragedy. It's just, and it's something that that image of the black and white image of the man in the stocking cap and the balaclava on the balcony of the Olympic village uh, dorms where these, where these men were being held. There's something, and just the facelessness of that face is so scary to me. Mm. Okay. Emily, we are back to you. All right. Your second pick. All right. I am going to pick how to survive a plague. And this is a documentary that really um, looks at how activist group ACT UP did a series of, I mean, just really amazing um, protests and often kind of over the top means to get attention on an issue that was just being, you know, very much ignored. In this world of cynicism, it's a really great movie to show how protests can actually change minds and hearts and policy in our country. Eric, we are back to you. You get two in a row here. I get two in a row. Oh, my goodness. I'm going with Man on a Wire, walking a tightrope across the gap between, uh, rather, between the two buildings, World Trade Center 1 and World Trade Center 2, just before it, um, just before its completion. That is one of them, and it is matched with Bill Cunningham's New York, mm. which I saw recently on movie, not a plug. It was such a sweet documentary of a guy who, uh, the Bill Cunningham is a fashion photographer, but he also was a photographer for the Times who would ride around midtown Manhattan on a bicycle taking photographs of people that he thought were interesting and showed their own sense of Manhattan street style. There is my New York trio. <laughs> I was going to pig man on wire. Uh, oh, I, love that. Um, I mean, the, with a list this, this large, it's hard to snake people. So good I job, know. The yeah. story of man on wire, when he's sneaking up to the roof and he's having to dodge the security and stuff. Like <laughs> there's that moment where you're watching the doc where you, you you're like getting physically nervous. You're like, I know it's like, it's a heist movie, you yeah. know, and it's also yes. a weird performance art. Movie. It's great. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. 
Uh, okay, Emily, we're back to you for your third pick. Okay. I'm going to go with bowling for Columbine. Them people, law enforcement, if you want to call them that, were here and they were shaking in their shoes. They were physically shaking, scared to death of because they thought this was going to be another Waco. Because certain people, namely my ex-wife and other people, said, I'm a radical. I'm a wild man. I got a gun under every arm, down every leg, and every shoe, every corner of the house. You say anything to me, I'll shoot you. <laughs> if the people find out how they've been ripped off and, and, and enslaved in this country by the government, by the powers to be, they will revolt with anger, with merciless anger. There'll be blood running in the streets. When it's a little controversial in my head because Michael Moore at times is too much for me. Like he's too much of the story or inserts himself in his documentaries too much for me. But I will give credit where credit is due that Bowling for Columbine really did. There was a lot of like, oh, like that's why guns are so big in our country. Oh, like there's just a lot of linking of things that had been previously siloed in my head about like, why is the NRA so powerful? And what is the motivation around why there's so many guns in our country versus Canada? And there was a lot of like lights dawning during that, that it helped me to see a wider context to the issue of school violence and, and mass shootings in the country. Okay, Betsy, you're All right, up. We're, go- we're going back to New York. We're going back to a particular location, but um, 9-11, the falling man. Oh. Yeah. So the documentary to, you know, as the doorway into talking about employees at Windows on the World and the people that were in the building and the psychology of choosing to jump versus being in the building, um, trying to identify a particular man who has who has jumped from the top of one of the towers and trying to think, is that what's he wearing? And is that what he's wearing? And and there's something about his body posture and 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 in that moment, what are you thinking of? But there's just the, this confrontation with terror and mortality and choice and how we want to die and and uh, and a, just a cataclysmic moment for this country. And I found it to be really powerful. Okay, Liz, you are up next with your third pick. Awesome. Um, so I'm going off the board now. And following Emily, I'm picking a Michael Moore film. And I'm picking Roger and Me, mm-hmm. which oh, original? Oh, yeah, that's weird. That's not on the board. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the reason I'm picking it is is partly because I think it was the first like grown up documentary I saw. Because I I could be wrong about this, but I think my brother w- was assigned to watch it when he was in high school. So we he rented it, and I remember kind of like. I just remember the skinning the rabbit. Like I didn't totally get it, but it had an impact on me then. I've watched it since. Michael Moore, as you said, Emily, is sort of a complicated person. There are certain things like Fahrenheit 9-11 now that when you watched it, it's like, ooh, problematic. Mm-hmm. But I also, he has a great way of getting to the truth in a sort of trickster way. He's hard to define himself as a journalist. He just sort of wants to get at the truth of something. And he tells this great story about a community that was just abandoned by um, a big 
corporation. It's almost as if Flint, Michigan was like the mining towns of yore that um, was so tied to the company that when they left, um, they just almost immediately sunk into an economic depression. I remember he spoke at the Women's March that we went to after the inauguration, and he had an impact. He said, you know, your congressmen and your senators should be on your speed dial. You should have their phone numbers in your phone. And I was like, oh, yeah, I should. Yeah, he really believes in democracy. And I think you see that throughout all of his films. We did a tour with some other teachers down at the Capitol. And, we were, and it was hard because with COVID and not being able to have access to places that you normally could just go and sit in a Senate office building lobby and read the paper and you know be able to go to the offices of your representatives. And our tour guide was so amazing. And he was just talking about, he's like, my one of my big concerns is that people will forget that they're supposed to have this access to democracy and that it will then be something that we don't know we're supposed to fight for and that more barriers go up, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's because of January 6th or it's because of COVID or just because of all of those sorts of things. And, and that, that kind of makes me think, think again about this, this film and his message. Okay. Uh, I have two more to wrap up my canon. Uh, My first one is very easy. I'm going with American factory. You've talked yeah. about this on the pod. You have. For good reason, because it's a great it's a great documentary about a factory uh, in Ohio. Anyway, it's about kind of this, uh, what happens when American workers and Chinese workers uh, share the same space and how work ethic is different across cultures. And, and uh, to wrap up, you know what? I'm going to go with the act of killing. Yeah, caranya. So the act of killing is about uh, it's about a dictatorship in hang on Indonesia Indonesia yeah um, where they were fighting communist forces and what ended up happening was that they would use horrific acts of violence against the communists that they were fighting um, and so what this documentary does is it goes back. And um, talks to the leadership of the country, interviews the leadership of the country, and then reenacts the violent acts that they were doing to other people. They just sort of dramatize the violent acts that they were doing. And by the end of the documentary, these people are sort of faced with the horrors that they perpetrated against other human beings and sort of come to a a new conclusion about the the morality of their particular stance it's not so much about the history of what was happening at the time more than it is about what human beings are capable of so those are mine all right we are back to you liz for your final documentary all right, my final pick. Um, you is also not on this list. You have West of Memphis on this list, which is probably the superior documentary in terms of like lots of things. But I'm going to pick Paradise Lost, the first move, the first documentary in a trilogy of documentaries about the West Memphis Three, 
who were three young men in a small town who were um, uh, arrested, tried and convicted for the tragic murder of three young boys uh, with absolutely no evidence. Absolutely. Like from start to finish, no evidence, barely even circumstantial evidence. And it was sort of one of the last last great gasps of the satanic panic where they were accused simply because they were um, suspicious characters in a small town and, uh, you know, were like goth kids. And they went to prison for a very long time. The first documentary just follows up through their trial and conviction. And then in the subsequent documentaries, they uh, explore some other theories, which were pretty not helpful and actually a little bit damaging to some people's lives. And then in the very final documentary of the trilogy, they talk about their release from prison. They were never exonerated. They took what was called an Alfred plea, which is you plead guilty, but the court agrees that you're innocent. So they let you go. <laughs> like, it's like everyone knows so you're innocent, but you still have to plead guilty. So you live the rest of your life as a convicted murderer, even though it's known that you're innocent and they n- none of them have ever been exonerated. But the first documentary is just a great sort of gritty glimpse into a small town, a devastating tragedy and three young kids just getting swept up in a very sad miscarriage of justice. Betsy, your last pick. My final pick. All right. Um, going with an oldie, but a goodie. Um, 1970s, give me shelter. Mm-hmm. Rolling Stones, Altamont, Motor Speedway, the death of the 60s flower power movement. It's, you know, the good times are over. Just kind of began, you know, it, it's that knowing something is going to be a tragic train wreck and watching the lead up to it. Mm-hmm. And especially with a, now watching it now with a very litigious, to 2020 mindset right that you know like hell no (laughs) oh yeah the hell's angels are gonna do security great (sighs) you know uh, uh, just all of that and that you could just feel the darkness coming in from the corners of that very dark field and and having been raised in the 1990s on the resurgence of the environmental movement and yeah let's do woodstock again and like very much like that kind of uh, being drawn to that kind of hippie type of thing as this countercultural interesting part of things and then having this be the the bookend the mic drop literally figuratively on this idea of the fun festival concert, everybody show up type of yeah. thing. Um, the fun show up festivals never actually worked. They no. were horribly run. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. By the time Mick Jagger's up on stage just saying, everybody cool out. Yeah. Not going to cool work. out. Like it's, it's way too late. Yeah. Way too late. Uh, okay. Emily, your last pick. Okay, I think I'm going to go with I Am Not Your Negro, Mm. the James Baldwin documentary. I just thought it did a really good job of humanizing civil rights leaders and seeing Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and Evers connected through friendship with James Baldwin. Just did a good job of really humanizing that part of history. Eric. So after going for three films in New York, I'm going to the second best city in the world, Tokyo 
for Jiro, Dreams of Sushi. Oh, uh, such a good one. I sniped that on, on folks, but... ジロさんのところお任せコースはコンチェルトになってる。あの、三楽章に分かれてるんですね。もうマグロだとかあの小肌だとかクラシックな押す詞が第一楽章によって。You I will wait and bow at his feet. Mm-hmm. Tuna has never looked love. better than it does. <laughs> so good. And just so amazing. The rep- repetition, his work ethic is just amazing yes. to watch. Yeah. My favorite to, uh, sushi chef in Omaha to, uh, trained under him. And mm. the restaurant is amazing. I literally eat there almost every week. It's not, yeah. cheap. I, I, I love sushi. And, um, Yes. Oh, I love that movie. Exactly. And Liz, the fact that you said you had a favorite sushi restaurant in Omaha as the grandson of the man who had barbecue joints on North 24th Street. I'm still amazed. Yep. Things have changed since you were a kid, although we still have great barbecue on North 24th Street. So (laughs) (laughs) your canon is Grey Gardens, Man on Wire, Bill Cunningham, New York and Hero Dreams of Sushi. That's a great one. Jeez. What are you thinking? (laughs) What are you thinking? I think, you know, uh, for me, it was looking, these were documentaries about New York with the exception of Jiro, but different aspects of New York. You know, um, yes, Emily, what a, it's a disturbing social studies experiment of looking at great gardens, but I know distant members of that family. Hmm. So to have two members go into a mutual almost you know breakdown of well we don't give up the family house even if we can't keep it um was was amazing uh man in a wire just um tripping out on how you would do your own inner heist film for art at the world trade center and bill cunningham was that quiet appreciation of new york city uh another documentarian of the amazing streets of the city it is truly one of my one of the great cities of the world and one of my favorites. And there is actually that Jiro link because sushi hits America and New York was one of the first places I got to taste sushi. So to see the master of sushi, the master chef in his element in Tokyo was its own pain to the art, uh, the, the art of fine cooking, which is, of course, a New York thing. Uh, Emily, your canon is uh 13th how to survive a plague bowling for columbine and i am not your negro what are you going for with this canon i think you could call it womp womp or (laughs) (laughs) or you could see it as really expanding your understanding of history and connecting events that are presented as separate and seeing how you know movements in history actually work and um expanding your context for how policy and our country gets done. Betsy, your canon, the fog of war, one day in September, 9-11, the falling man, and give me shelter. I was going to entitle this Don't Watch Alone, 
because <laughs> there's a lot of things here. <laughs> but actually, all of these things, I think I watched them alone because I wanted to walk into something that I knew was scary and dark. But I didn't really go alone because these filmmakers took me with them and trying to take major moments in history and look at them through a different lens or turn them a bit to see a different perspective when often what history captures can feel a little one note, the journeys that each of these films kind of go on, uh, that they're at these inflection and transition moments in the world. And, uh, and that part of things, that sociology of things for me, the history part of things I just love in a documentary. Liz, your canon, Paris is burning 20 feet from stardom, Roger and me and paradise lost. All I can there, there is no theme. The theme for me is these are all documentaries I've watched multiple times and will watch again. These were not one time only things. I will return to all of these over the years uh, and continue to be challenged by them and continue to learn things. Uh, My canon is can't get you out of my head. OJ made in America, American factory and the art of killing. And I will probably never watch any of these documentaries ever again (laughs) uh, because uh, two of them are like eight hours long. So there you Mm -hmm. go. Um, But uh, what I like about the form of documentaries and uh, what I think that they accomplish really well is that uh, life is complicated. Human stories are complicated. Rarely are can things be explained simply. And what documentaries allow you to do is take lots of ideas and put them together in a stew to understand what's happening. And when I think about the documentaries that I like best, they're documentaries that help me understand things in the world or stories that I didn't fully understand before I watch them. And I may not, I may still not fully understand them even after watching the documentary, but at least I have more information. Okay. Those are our canons. We will have them featured on our website, poppingcollegepodcast.com. Vote for who you think has the best uh, slate of documentaries. Email us your favorite documentaries. We'll read them next time, maybe. And uh, join us again for another canon. We'll have a whole new panel of folks and a whole new set of categories uh, to talk about. Until then, keep those collars popped. Pop, pop. Pop, pop.